Well, good morning. <clears throat> uh, and what a joy to see a church filled with people and to see, hear those praises. I did a little, I recorded about 30 seconds at the start. I thought, this is a special moment today. We're back and we're singing together. Well, uh, today, uh, or in fact, uh, I've got my first slide up. I'll grab this. Uh, a few days ago, in fact, this week, a few days ago, uh, Anne, Anne Woolley, who uh, I was chatting to, said, um, she, she just gave me a thought. She said, I thought previously I needed this physical church and the congregation for my faith, that that was the way, the main, the, really the way that God would speak to me. But now I've realized through 16 months of lockdown that God can reach me anywhere, that I can be anywhere and that somehow God is real to me, as real to me on my own as he is here. And I thought to myself, what a great reflection, what a great story that she's telling herself of the past. I wonder what story I'm telling myself of the last 16 months. I wonder what I've learned. I wonder what we've learned. Because, as we know, if these past 16 months have taught us anything, surely it's that life is uncertain. Life is full of uncertainty. Uh, if life is full of uncertainty, we've lost the sense, all sense of certain planning, haven't we? We used to say, uh, let's, uh, let's go and see so-and-so next week. I'm going, just going out, I'm going out to a meeting in London or somewhere next month. Or let's plan our holiday for the summer. Let's just do it and it will happen. How much has changed today? We're not even certain that we can leave the house, are we? With apps pinging us and uh, with children being sent home at no notice. Suddenly... We feel we're not in control. Probably for the first time in our lives, in the last 16 months, we've really felt not in control. In fact, the truth is, we were never in control. We were never in control. We just managed to kid ourselves that we were. And we surround ourselves with high-tech medical technology, with state support to make us feel that life is in control. And bizarrely, this feeling of loss of control, this feeling of uncertainty, is, I think it's, it's actually worse for those of us in developed rich countries than in developing countries where people are used to daily uncertainty. Uh, we are unaccustomed to that. And most of us don't have the daily incentive, the drive, to get up every day and work to eat. We're going to eat anyway, even if we don't get up. We don't have that. So we have space and time to dwell in this narrative of loss, this narrative of uncertainty. And if we watch the news and, or read the news, that's what we've been hearing for so many months. We've talked about it before. We're fed the narrative of continuing uncertainty, continuing loss, all, all the things that we've lost. And it's that, there is truth there. It's true what people are saying. We can feed ourselves with that story over and over again. We can tell ourselves a story that I can't go on holiday where I want to go. We can tell ourselves a story that I've missed my family for many months and I'm not going to see them. We can tell ourselves the story that I'm suddenly afraid to go out, and some still are. We can tell ourselves the story and say, why can't things just go back to the way they were before? And in the middle of this narrative of uncertainty and loss that's been going on for so long, there's one word that I don't think has been mentioned at all. And it's this word, joy. What do we mean by joy? Joy is a word that seems misplaced in the, in the current setting that we're in, and in any case, outdated. It's an old word that virtually never gets used outside of church. How do we understand this word? Uh, one of my daughters said to me, 
chocolate. That's fair enough, isn't it? That's one form of joy. Chocolate, why not? Yes. Joy can be happy, excited, light-hearted. According to the online dictionary, joy is a feeling, a feeling of great pleasure and great happiness. It's also a name, a name that we don't hear much now, but an old girl's name, isn't it? But the Bible would say, and we'll talk about this, it's more about an inner contentment, that joy is about an inner contentment, an inner peace, that somehow all will be well. All will be well. And this is quite close to the biblical idea of joy. There's a, there's a close relationship, isn't there, as well, between peace and joy. Uh, Spurgeon, Simon sent me this quote the other day, uh, said, peace is joy resting, joy is peace dancing. A very close relationship between being at peace and joy. But the Bible presents a very strange idea, a very odd idea, because the Bible suggests, I, I would say tells us, that this joy, this inner contentment, is something we can choose. It's something that you can choose, however you are feeling, whatever is going on. Yes, it's a gift that's given to us. Sometimes great things happen. Chocolate, right? But it's also something that we can choose. More often, it's something we, we are told to do in Scripture, not something that just happens to you. Something we consciously decide day by day and even moment by moment. So here's my question. If joy is an instruction from God, surely it must be something we can always choose. God wouldn't tell us to do something that was impossible. So if it's an instruction from God, then surely it must be something that we can choose. And I would say the Bible, most often when it talks about joy, it's a command just this morning from Thessalonians. Rejoice. Rejoice in all circumstances. Here's two or three examples uh, from Psalm 47. It says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. It doesn't say if you feel like it or if you feel happy. It just says do it. Philippians 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is a command. And this odd one in James, there is no James 12, so I think that's James 2. <laughs> James says, my mistake, consider it pure joy. This is really hard. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when, whenever you are faced, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's a tough one, isn't it? Consider it joy when bad things happen. But it seems to be a command. And if God is telling us to do something, it must be possible to choose to do that thing. The Bible is clear. God's people are not only given the gift of joy, but we're commanded to be joyful. But here's the problem, which you've already thought of. And here's a problem which I often face. But I don't feel joyful. I don't feel joyful often, most often in my life. I don't feel joyful. Now, for some people, some people, it depends on, on, on your, how your, how your, your genes, I guess, your attitude to life. Some people, that command to be joyful, it's an invitation. They're swept up in it. But for many of us, it's, it's tough. Many of us hear problems when the Bible says rejoice in all circumstances. But many of us hear problems. I don't feel joyful. And both those responses are, are normal and both are justified. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm speaking to you today most often as a glass-half-empty person. I don't find it easy to be naturally 
joyful. And sometimes when there's nothing good to look forward to, I struggle. Struggle to, to think, you know, what, what, what's to look forward to today? But I too am learning about this word and its use in Scripture. Uh, one, of, one thing, part of the answer to this comes from obedience, which is also an old word that we don't use anymore. Actually, obedience, God, Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, you will, you will have joy. There is joy in obedience, and that's not to do with faith. You don't need much faith to obey. It's a different thing. But what I want to talk about today, I think the most convincing response to the problem, I don't feel joyful, can be found in some of the Psalms, including the one we're going to look at this morning. It's a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm 30, and we'll read it in a moment. Uh, and we'll just think of it in the context of joy. Now, David's life, we've been talking about it for six or seven weeks, uh, was very mixed, full of great accomplishments, great problems, great sin, actually, and great tragedy. At least two of his children die uh, unnaturally. One as a baby, and one when they turn against him and try to uh, overthrow him. David, as he has written this psalm, has just come through a grave illness, which nearly killed him. He's been afraid, he's been uncertain, he's been worried, he's been close to death, whatever it was, this thing. And now, even now as he writes these words, he's surrounded by enemies on every side. On every border of Israel, there are enemies. Any one of them would have happily slit David's throat at a moment's notice, given half a chance. And with these contrasting thoughts and feelings, he writes this psalm, an honest psalm. Psalm 30. I'm going to read it to you. It's a translation from the New Living, from the NLT, New Living Translation. So Psalm 30, David says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might praise, that I might sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Let's just pause and pray as we open up this psalm. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these words written 3,000 years ago. And we just pray this morning, Lord, that we would not only hear the words of David or my words, Lord, but your words spoken to our hearts. What is it, Lord, you would have us learn from you today? Please answer us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is just step through a few verses of that psalm and see if you can relate to them right now as well as I do. First of all, a word on verse 1, which, which uh, often this idea often comes up in Scripture, which is uh, our enemies. 
trying to change the slide to... Oh, yeah, it did change, actually. Sorry, verse 1, yeah. Um, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. If you're, if, if you're familiar with the Psalms, Psalms often talk about our enemies, don't they? And uh, for David, his enemies were physical armies. But today, I don't, I don't have physical enemies, and, and you probably don't either. But for me, when I read about enemies in the Psalms, I, I feel these are often my thoughts, my own thoughts, my own anxious thoughts, my own negative thoughts, my own worries for other people, for myself, for what might happen. They are my anxious thoughts, especially in these uncertain times. They, they can become our enemies, our own thoughts. And this idea fits with many psalms. Psalm 7, my enemies rise up on me. My thoughts do rise up on me sometimes. Or Psalm 42, my enemies say, where is your God? Sometimes my thoughts have said to me, where is your God? Or indeed in this one, in Psalm 30, my, uh, the Lord triumphs over my enemies. The Lord is, does triumph over my negative thoughts. Think about that the next time you see the word enemies in Psalms. And then uh, verse 3, just moving on. David says, you brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Who hasn't felt like they were falling into a pit these last 16 months? At some point over this last year. Who hasn't felt at least some level, that on some level for ourselves, for our nation? And then verse 6 to 7, uh, which, is, which is also up there. Maybe on the, there it is. Verse 6 to 7. Uh, David confesses that previously he'd been proud and self-confident. Great pride, great self-confidence. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Haven't many of us done that in the past? I know I have. Often in the past, I felt in complete control before these 16 months have taken away my control. When things were prospering, I felt in control, only to have the rug pulled out from under me. Again, who hasn't felt the rug pulled out from under them in these last 16 months? Who hasn't felt that? And then verse 7. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. That's how we felt. But then you turned away from me and I was shattered. Who hasn't at some point felt shattered even? We come out of lockdown two or lockdown three and then suddenly these relentless exponential curves start rising up again. The cases start mounting. The deaths start mounting. Who hasn't felt shattered by that on the news this year? But mixed in with all this, David makes a conscious choice in various places in this psalm. We see it first in verse 6, where he says, just responsibly to himself, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. There are still troubles in his life, not least David's long road to redemption after committing murder and adultery. And not least, the continuing noise of his enemies on every border of Israel. He has a lot to contend with. But what a tremendous encouragement. Inner contentment and peace will always come. Weeping may last through the night, but joy will come with the morning. Or in the words of Julian of Norwich, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And on this note, on this note, David ends his psalm. 
He makes a conscious, he makes a conscious choice of what to focus on. And we see it at the end of the psalm, verse 11 and 12. Despite all this, with all this going on in my life, he says, you turn my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. You see, for David also, there were two stories, two narratives, and both were true. Both were true. David could have focused on his, on his closeness to death. He could have focused on the fact that his enemies were all around him, inside Israel as well as out. His own son will turn against him and try to murder him. He could have focused on that, but his choice, he says, you turn my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. We also have a choice. We also have a choice. We also have two stories. You can tell yourself the first story. You can focus on the first story. You can say, I can't go on holiday this year where I wanted to go. You can tell yourself the story. I keep missing my family and my friends. You can tell yourself the story. Why can't things go back to the way they were? And all that's true. Or, all that's true, we can choose. You can choose to see our lives through pain, weariness, and uncertainty. We can choose to do that. That's the first story. Or we can choose to see our experiences through the eyes of a God who allows no experience to be wasted. No experience is wasted with God. God doesn't bring bad times. God didn't bring COVID. But God uses bad times. God really uses bad times to create in us courage, persistence, perseverance, empathy for one another, appreciation for things we didn't appreciate. Anne's comment. I've really learned in this last 16 months, not just in my head, but really learned that God is with me wherever I go. And God uses these times to, grow in, to, for, to help us grow in our relationship with him. Without bad times, frankly, we wouldn't grow in our character and we wouldn't grow in our faith. We wouldn't have that opportunity. You see, our joy, our joy that I've been talking of this morning isn't the cheap consolation of an always happy ending to every circumstance. It's not that. Some of the most joyful people I know, <clears throat> and you know them in this church, some of the most joyful people we know have been through, have lived lives through terrible pain, through appalling loss, through aching loss, still doing so. And yet, they continue to exhibit an inner peace, an inner contentment, a defiant joy, because they choose that. See, joy can be a gift, but it's more often in Scripture we find it's a choice, one that we can make in our everyday. So that first story about weariness and loss and uncertainty, it's true. I'm not denying it. That is true. But it's only one narrative. It's only one story. We can choose a second story. We can choose the second story, which is as true as the first. You can choose to tell yourself the alternative true story. You can choose to tell yourself that after 16 months of lockdown, I have a new appreciation for the world around me. We keep discovering walks that we haven't been on before. You can tell yourself the story that I have an appreciation for the workers who, who support me and who surround me and who I really need. 
you can tell yourself the story that suddenly I appreciate being back together in physical church and singing in a way I never thought I would. That, that our church suddenly has an online presence to hundreds of more people that it never had before. You can tell yourself the story, there are lots of things in my life that are not broken. There are lots of things that are not broken, that are not wrong. There's lots of health that I do have. And we can give thanks for those even when we don't feel like it. Thankfulness is a key to joy. You can tell yourself the story that God has a purpose in my life. And even in bad times, he teaches me and trains me and brings me closer to him. He teaches me new patience, new resilience, new empathy, new appreciation. You can tell yourself that story. You can tell yourself the story that God has an ultimate purpose for me in eternity that cannot be changed. It's written in his book. That God loved me so, so much that he was born as a, in a stable and died as a criminal. You can tell yourself that story. You can tell yourself the story that I know an unchanging God in a world of constant change. You can tell yourself the story, as David did, that weeping may stay for the night, but joy will come in the morning. That second story is also true. On a daily and sometimes moment-by-moment basis, we have to choose which narrative we will tell ourselves, which narrative we will choose, which narrative we will live in. And if we choose this second story, I'm going to ask you to stand as 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 we begin to praise God again. Let's stand. As we choose this second story, we can join with David, as he says in verse 4, Sing praise. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning.